Welcome to World Harvest Outreach Wednesday Night Bible Study. Yeah, I'm kind of, um, I'm not sure what tonight's going to bring, so um, so I'm kind of excited about that, and um, I'm hoping we have some um, good dialogue tonight, um, and mainly because, um, I mean, there's some things um, that we may get to, may not get to, but I feel like, um, based on last week, um, you can, like, slip up your hand if, if you want to let me know. I feel like last week I might have lost a couple of you. I'm not sure. Is that anybody here? Was anybody kind or was somebody like, uh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got to refresh where she was lost. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I remember talking to him on the way home. Yeah, that was so, so maybe you could think of it um, as I, I'm gonna, I want to share a couple things that'll probably maybe get you thinking about it, um, because I may have. Um, it's tough when you're teaching sometimes that um, some of it may have been I chose the wrong words or didn't say some words I needed to. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. So, uh, so. Let me say a couple things, and then I really am hoping to open it up to you all um, to see where you might have had uh, questions or where I might have lost you. You need me to clarify some things of, of where I'm coming from. So, um, in order to do that, I'm not a very good drawer, and this is something I feel like I... We'll get more developed as we go along. Uh, I'll probably make, maybe put it on a handout. So it'll be something we add to. But from the start of the Bible school, um, we've been talking about, or basically what we're talking about is how do we approach the Bible? How do we study it? How do we read it? Um, because it's, it's a book filled with different types of literature, different authors. <clears throat> so it's kind of like, how, how do I approach this? Because sometimes it can seem overwhelming uh, to, to read, know where to start, how to approach it. So part of the thing I've been talking about is the best way to approach it is to realize that there is an overarching story through all of scripture that holds it all together and there's a unity to it. Um, and sometimes you don't see it, but if we understand the whole story, um, that helps us to interpret uh, Big parts like how to interpret the Old Testament, how we approach the New Testament, how we approach the book of Genesis, how we approach the Gospels. It, it's all in an overarching story, and part of uh, when we do that, we need to always come back to realize there is um, a central approach um, to the Scripture and an overarching story that runs throughout and is developed and gets formed. And... Um, so I say all that because I, I realized I started off by saying this last week, and I didn't come back to it, and I'm thinking maybe this is where maybe um, I might have lost some of you. I made, um, I made the statement that throughout, specifically the Old Testament, is that we see these, and I called them like fingerprints of God, uh, fingerprints of Jesus, throughout the Old Testament, that as you read through it, um, it's kind of like God has left um, 
these different uh, clues, you can call them clues if you want to see it as a mystery, or things he's left for us to find him. As, as Mark said on Sunday, God wants to be known, he wants to be found, um, and he's left things throughout all of history, and in particular the scriptures, to reveal, to say, uh, to, that when we look back, you know, because we kind of know that in story, when we look back, there's these, there's these uh, evidences or fingerprints that God has left for us to see, um, that Jesus left for us to see him. And so um, that's what I started with. And what I want to say is, <clears throat> I think the words I might have chose, and I'm not sure if this is where maybe some of this got lost. Um, specifically, we were talking about Cain and Abel, and specifically um, the blood the blood crying out. Um, and I kind of asked in how a lot of times that's been, uh, the most popular way it's been interpreted is it's kind of like this blood's calling out to God, and, um, and it's kind of like this almost like revenge, like Abel's blood's crying out. Um, and what I wanted to say um, is, is that to me, that's one of those, uh, and let me say, let me use a word here that's used a lot of times by biblical scholars and people who uh, teach and study the Bible is, <clears throat> is the word typology, um, which basically means that there are these typologies or things that point, in this case, to Jesus, that there are examples or foreshadowings of who he was and who he is. And I think one of those that we see early on is with the story of Cain and Abel and specifically Abel. Um, and we talk about, and I talked about Hebrews, where Hebrews specifically says about how the blood of Abel, um, it talks about the blood of Abel um, and how Christ's blood even more than Abel um, basically brings this healing uh, aspect to it. And so, um, did somebody open up Hebrews? I, I kind of quoted that one. I want to make sure I quote that right. Can somebody turn to Hebrews, the end of Hebrews 12? I think it's 12. Or is it the end of 11? Where it talks about where we were. Do you have that, Mark? It's uh, Hebrews 12, 24. Is that what you want me to do? Yeah, can you just read that real quick? And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Right. So it's talking about Abel's death and how, you know, Christ's blood even more so. And <clears throat> what I need to probably put in some context to, um, to get to this, and then I'll open it up because hopefully I don't confuse you more here. Uh, <laughs> hopefully. So <clears throat> everybody just pray right now. Um, so, <clears throat> I talked about this before. Let's make sure. It's, let's play a little Q&A here a little bit. Um, who were the first five books written by? Moses. Moses. Okay, it's, it's held pretty much everybody's agreement. The first five books were written by Moses. Okay, so, and realize, so he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So, um, but for Moses, they're almost like one volume. They're a story he is already telling. And that's remember, all the events in Genesis that we're studying, all those, Moses wasn't even born yet. 
Okay, he's he's not even aware. He doesn't he doesn't know Adam. You know, he's not living during the time of Adam and Eve or Cain and Abel or Noah. Uh, he's he didn't live during um, the time of Abraham and all the characters in the book of Genesis. But he's right, and God's asked him to put these things down to the people. So realize that he's living during the time when God saves um, the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage and makes them his people. And he saves them across the Red Sea, and he promises them that he's that they're his people, and he's going to give them this land that he's promised them, that he made clear back to Abraham. Okay? Um, so he's writing back. So realize when he's telling the Genesis story in the desert, okay, to the people he delivered, that God delivered from Egyptian bondage, he's, they've all, the, the law has already been given, like the law of Sinai, okay? The Ten Commandments come down. All that has already been given to them as he's telling them the back history of who they are and where they descended from, okay? So realize when we're reading this, the reason I bring this all up is as he looks back, one of the Ten Commandments is what in relating to what happens with King and Abel? Yeah, yeah. No murder, right? Thou shalt not murder, all right? And so, and that's what we have here. Um, and so he's going back and telling um, this story, which is already setting up because it talks about, this is where we really hear about the significance of blood, blood crying out, that there's something in blood. There's some sort of power in blood that God has established that they know about. Because remember now, just think about as they're hearing this and they're hearing about this blood crying out. They've already been taught that there's that there's all these sacrifices, blood sacrifices going on that they're to do to take care of their sins and their wrongs and all the things they were do, the atonement. There's all that. And and this story is being told that. So it's already a, it, from, from our standpoint, kind of, kind of chronologically, um, we're already getting a foreshadowing that there's something about blood. And realize that the animal sacrifices for Israel themselves is that the, the animal itself was precious. It was making a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it was the blood in particular. And there's also... Um, trying to decide if we should turn there or not. Um, but there's a whole passage in Leviticus. Um, um, I think it's the end of chapter, I want to say chapter 17, that talks about how Israel is not to eat blood or drink blood. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And why aren't they supposed to? Because it's the life, right? It's the life that brings life to flesh and all that. And... <clears throat> Kind of what I wanted to show you, this is a foreshadowing to me of Abel, of what um, Yahweh does when he comes incarnate in the person of Jesus, um, where he dies for the whole world. Um, and basically, what, whatever the sin was, murder or all the sins we have is that they're redeemed. And here, what I want to say, this is a foreshadowing is that by law, and Cain should have been basically killed for what he did by the law that's given for killing his brother Abel. Is everybody with me on that? That's what should have happened. 
Yes. What law? What's that? What law? The law that God established at Sinai through Moses. Even though it was in the future? Yes. Moses wasn't there, but yet he's telling them about this story. Okay. All right. So you're, it's talking more from the author's perspective yes. than when he wrote it. Yes. Got it. Yeah. From when he wrote it. Because the question is, why did he write this? Mm -hmm. Why this story? Mm -hmm. Because that's the idea. Because listen, there is a lot of time between Genesis 1 and when, and when Moses is telling and writing down the story. And think about it. Even before Abraham, think of all the time we don't know about. We only got 11 chapters before Abraham, okay? And a lot happened there. The question is, why was this part told, and why was Moses to share this? With, what's that? I don't really have a, I, I don't really have a good answer for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anybody else if you want to answer. I know it's a lot. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of time. Um, and part of the reason I I probably could have gave you that answer at one time, probably when I was back in the session. I'm trying to think of the genealogy. Wasn't there 13 generations between Adam and? He has 14. Between Adam and 14 Moses or Abraham? So chapter 10 talks about the descendants of Noah. And it's like, it's hundreds of years. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Because. Well, and you look at the genealogy in chapter five, there's people that lived live like 800, 900 right, years. Right. I mean, they're not gonna have kids till yeah. 200, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. So it, it's a lot of time. And, and and I'm not saying, like I said, we could pro I could probably trace the number um, I mean, I, I I could look that up, but what I that what I don't want to do is get bogged down. No, and I don't want that. to either. I just wanted to offer something. Yeah, I think the biblical term is buttload. Yes, buttload. <laughs> I like that. Of time. What? Yeah, <laughs> buttload. A buttload of time. Um, <laughs> So it's Hebrew. It's Yeah, it's a it's a lot, and I think that's one of the things I want us to take from this is there's a picture trying to be painted here that Moses is painting, and that God, in His wisdom, even knowing He didn't write this for us originally, it was written for uh, the children of Israel in the desert. But God, in His wisdom, knew that this was going to be relevant to us, though. Um, so, you know, we'll find out as we go through. I'm going to probably come back to this. God is a very good planner. Okay, so, um, so when you look at Diane, you think that's the kind of planner God was—very detail-oriented. So, so she's a reflection of our Father's planning um, in this. So, very well thought out, planned that. Once again, this is where I would say this is one of those fingerprints. If you were looking for Jesus in this story, I think that's part of the point here is because kind of back to what Mark asked the question, that's why I said is he's talking, he's talking to the community of the children of Israel in the desert, telling them this one particular story about Cain and Abel as he's telling them about how did we get to this point? Because I'm sure they're asking the same question that we all ask. Where did we come from? How did the world start? 
I kind of said like there's these worldview questions when we read scripture that Genesis does and scripture gives us. It's this story and it asks, it answers a lot of questions for us and it's no different than what we ask today. Where did I come from? How did the world begin? Why, what, why is the world so messed up? Things like that. Um, how did we get to this point? They're probably wondering why were we in Egyptian bondage? We're God's people then, why were there? There's all these questions being asked and he pinpoints this one story and this is the mindset uh, hoping that I probably should have said so I was clear about this so once again they already know about all the sacrifices for the sin they have the commandment that you shouldn't murder um, and and by that the penalty is death according to the law of Moses for that but they're hearing the story where Cain is not killed and he's spared by God the same God that gave them these laws um, so it's already pointing <clears throat> to Jesus and I think the grace that's already there because I think and I should put this up here I've talked about um, this before why I said we'll probably be adding this so this all big picture is the story I think one of those characteristics that's part of the whole story is grace we don't see it fully and don't see it clearly till Jesus, but it's there. We see these, we see these little images where God is revealing, the Father is revealing his heart of who he is and why he's even going to come. Because that's, remember, the in, he was already planning to come before he even created the world. Before Genesis 1-1, he already had all of us in mind, had everything that we see that we think is beautiful in nature and everything that he's made, that's all in his mind. He already knew he was going to come. And the other interesting part, when Mark was talking about Sunday, when he's talking about, I want to be there to talk to him and be there, like he's kind of showing the pictures of, of um, him forming us and forming Adam and wanting to be there. The other interesting part of that conversation that I believe God's going to be there is we have to realize when he's creating Adam, he's already, he's not just thinking about Adam. He's thinking about the body he's going to come in. He's forming it thinking, and I'm going to come. Wow. And I'm going to come in this too. So when we even look at our own bodies stuff, we got to think this is what God envisioned for himself too. It was the image that he had in mind, which is the importance of, of, even, I mean, that's just kind of a little mind-blowing thing to me, to think that he's already thinking, I'm going to come in this shell at the time until he breathes life into it. This is what I'm going to come in. I think that that in itself um, is kind of mind-blowing. So, um, so he's already thinking that. So that's why I'm saying Cain is spared here. So there's already, you already see some of this grace. Because, and here's the reason I think this is important. Because I talk to a lot of people at work. Um, most of them are not believers and stuff. And, you know, part of their problem is the Old Testament. Part of it, I mean, they start, they already start to think like, yeah, Jesus is cool. God of the Old Testament is there. And to me, it's, it's, it's misunderstanding the story. It's misunderstanding. Because you've got to read the whole story to really, because it's not a little bit of time. Um, the world 
back then and our world now is, is so different. There's similarities though that we're gonna point out because humans haven't changed a whole lot. Um, but the way the world was, the way it thought, it was much different. Um, and so I think it's very important that, once again, this is a person who should have died by the law of Moses. They're hearing this. Here's the thing. I don't know if they got it or not. I think some might have, some may have not, of, of God that, wow, that was God was gracious then. Um, if you go on past that generation that Moses is talking to, I mean, God was always trying to convince them of this all the time that he was graceful because they would go worship other gods and he would still forgive them. And we read like the prophet Hosea, who basically is a thing of basically the book basically is saying that Israel is, is like a harlot and a whore that they're worshiping and in bed with other gods. But yet God still says that I'm not giving up on you. I still love you regardless of that and tries to win their hearts. Um, so I, I think that that would, uh, that's what I was trying to make sure, which is why I went to communion. Once again, even at this story, which is not a tragic story, we still see a, we see a glimpse of the heart of who God has always been and has revealed fully in Jesus. So, saying that, um, questions for where that you may have about that. And I want to make sure you're with me on this. That doesn't mean you have necessarily have to agree, though. I just mean with me is that I'm at least clear about it. Anyone else? Just maybe Moses was trying to get across that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Right. Eventually, Jesus is going to come and do that for all of us. But, right. Um, and that was Cain's problem in the first place. When they brought their sacrifices to God, there was no shedding of blood in his sacrifice. For right. Him to be forgiven for all sinners. And then he got angry because God accepted. Right. Abel, because he did bring a sacrifice of blood. God killed the animals to make clothes for Adam and Eve. Right. Too. Right. And I kind of said, I'm glad you brought that up too. Once again, this one's a little more, is the first time we hear the word blood. But obviously, when he covered Adam and Eve, it was animal skins, there was blood there too. Once again, another fingerprint of God saying, this is what I'm going to do when I come. This is one of the things I'm going to do. Cover up all your sins, all your wrongs, everything that you could possibly think you're going to do. I'm still going to be faithful to you, regardless. Regardless. Yes. Do you feel? Well, let me ask you this: Will you slowly fill in this more, or will you give us some kind of like? one sentence version of the story like what are you thinking about i i don't know but let because you said that we'll go here like i said we're, we're going to go where we need to go to make sure so i think grace is one one of the huge parts of the story that we see glimpse of it naturally remember i 
I'm, me and my dad have talked about it. I'm almost at the point where I don't want to use Old Testament, New Testament words anymore. I almost want to use the terms instead like Old Covenant, New Covenant. Because the, the, Old, Test, the Old Covenant is the start of the story and the New Covenant becomes the fulfillment of the story. And I would say, and I might put this big through it, there's a third part, okay? So there's the Old Covenant, okay, which is the story. The new, co- or the new covenant fulfilled story, fulfilled in Christ. But the, the third part is, we're the continuation of the story today. We're the continuation of the story. So, and do you want me to give you, like, just for fun, um, a biblical example of that in the New Testament about us being the continuation of the story? So do you want that? Uh, Turn over to the Gospel of Mark, which is, we think historically, the first gospel ever written. Okay, that it was the first one that was penned, um, and that was written down. And turn to the last chapter, chapter 16. Does anybody have, probably all of you do, do you have a footnote of when Mark's gospel ends? Does it, does Mark's gospel end at verse 20? This is the thinking question. 16. Yeah. Does anybody else's Bible have that little footnote? Okay. So what that is, is the oldest and most reliable manuscripts. And you get into biblical scholarship, for the most part, what's agreed upon is the older the manuscript, probably the more reliable the source. Because as it didn't get written or somebody else written, is that the oldest ones are probably what Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, what his intent was of the original story, and that the second part was added on by a later apostle or follower, um, and that it was added on, okay? And so, depending on what you're looking at is, where does Mark's Gospel really end, okay? So... So I would argue Mark's gospel ends at 8, okay? Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean I don't believe what happens after that is true. It didn't happen, or it's not uh, something for us as well, okay? So don't, so when I say that, make sure you understand that doesn't mean I don't think that's scripture or that what happens after 8 didn't happen, okay? It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, this is what's missed about the gospels. The Gospels told their version of Jesus in a certain way for a certain reason. 
they were written originally to communities. They weren't written like, I need to write the history of what happened here with Jesus. No, these were like Mark or anybody else who preaches on Sunday telling us, giving a sermon and telling about who Jesus was. And so that's what we're getting here. So when this was originally told, it stopped there. And as maybe more things were heard, that was there. But when you look at Mark's gospel, okay, could I have somebody read the first eight verses of chapter 16 and realize, and just keep in mind how this gospel <clears throat> ends? Can I have a volunteer? Go ahead. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Okay. Yes, the thing I would, I would say about this is, once again, the story... The reason it ends there is that it's not over. There's more to the story that literally came historically after that, which is why we get more in the later Gospels, because obviously they did eventually go tell, right? They went and told the disciples. And that's the point is we're the continuation of telling the good news, the story of Jesus being alive and that everything he said was true and the resurrection confirmed it. And they go on. Part of Mark's stopping this, realize it's kind of like a sermon. A sermon, a, a sermon is he's trying to get them to see the story is not over. The story is not over. It continues, and we know historically speaking. Then Acts is written later. We learn what the apostles do. We get more from the other gospels. But I think part of Mark's point was is it goes to what Mark's really been preaching on when he talks about faith and what is faith again how did he define it the belief in things what unseen they didn't see Jesus but they were told he was resurrected and they were to go tell the good news and tell his disciples the good news of it um, and to add on to that we find out think about it that story happens when we go to John's gospel we have, we have doubt by disciples, right? Of whether he was, um, you, know, you know, Thomas has doubts even with Jesus standing before them. That's him. He says, touch me and touch my hands. And what does he say? He says, you only believe because you've seen. But blessed are more those who haven't seen and believed, had faith and believe in this story. So remember, we're the continuation of the story. None of us saw the physically resurrected Jesus. Does that make our story any less? And how many of us are maybe even tell, scared to tell the story sometimes? 
but it is told. And so we are that continuation of the story. And like I said, Mark was like the first gospel like penned. And so more is developed after that. And Luke and them tell the story. But I think part of what he was saying to his believers, because a lot of them might not have saw the resurrected Jesus. And he's telling them, but you need to be, you need to have faith and you need to believe. And that's one of the themes in Mark's gospel. Now, naturally, we're not going to read the whole thing. But when you read it, it's one of the things um, that's discussed there. So we're the continuation of this story. It's not over. It's not over. So um, that's just a small example of it, of a story, because usually a story doesn't end like that, right? But there was a purpose in why it was written there, because Mark was trying to get his disciples to realize the people, the community he was writing to is, you're the continuation of this story. And by the way, it was believed that Mark, Mark's gospel, that he got his teachings about Jesus from Peter who was a first-hand account, who walked with the Lord, um, that he got it from Peter. And you got to realize that he's writing this <clears throat> to a community differently in Peter who may not have saw the resurrected Jesus. And his point is, is that he's convincing them, he's really teaching them about faith um, and about this story and how they're the continuation of it and they're to go forward. So um, we don't sometimes, I think, read the Gospels like they were originally written, which is these are giant sermons that they were given to communities to encourage them in the faith, which is why we meet on Sundays. Same thing. Um, this one just happened to, it's kind of like we, re, we record our sermons now, right? Um, this, there was no recordings. There was none of that. There was no TV. So it was written down. But this was a lot of the preaching. Um, they say Mark's gospel was kind of the preaching of Peter about Jesus and the way he built the story. never noticed this one before where it says just uh, as many as have undertaken to compile an account of the things that were accomplished among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Yeah. And it's funny because Luke more than the other basically makes the point they are he is trying to give a historical account. You see it, it says to write it out for you in consecutive order that you may know the So make no mistake about it, as we talk about this, we're the continue. This story is continued. It is continued. It doesn't end with the book of Revelation. We're the continuation of it. Any questions about that? Everybody still with me? Okay. Um, now saying that, what Mark was saying, uh, what I want to put up here, I wanted to ask you, so the overall story, because I think this runs throughout, but if we just have a, the knowledge we have so far from Genesis 1 to where we are in 4, I think we can say something about the story about who God has revealed he is at this point. Who is God in the story? What's the overarching view of who he is? We spent a year on it last year. Creator. What's that? Creator. The creator, right? 
Isn't that, that's, <clears throat> he's the creator, okay? Now, the, to put in here what we're going to see, <clears throat> it's defined, and I think this has already been established, but it's also defined who is the creator, though, in regards to us, who is the creator? Father. Father. And why would you say that? Because I would make the case it's already been talked about. He talks about his son. Yep, go on with that. Adam. You're right. I just want to make sure that Adam, and we learn later that when Jesus' genealogy is speaking of Luke, he's talking about the genealogy traces back Jesus' genealogy, and it says, son of, you know, it says, when it gets to Adam, it says, son of God. Okay? So, already, the Creator also equals Father. That's a huge part of the overall story of Scripture that when we read it, we got to realize that this is a Father we're dealing with, who's not just a Creator that, that creates us and then goes off and leaves. Okay? Which, also, Father equals life. Because the term father is. Go ahead with that. I wasn't going to connect it to that, but life was going to be one of the parts of the story. I was going to say, go ahead. Right. Well, the reason I think it really goes here is because all of us who are fathers, even in the natural, life comes from the father. Seed planted in the womb. So all of these are really equal. Creator, Father, life. He is not only our creator, he's our father, he is our life. We are a product of him. So life is a very important part and that life comes from him. And as John in the parallel says, that you know he was he was the light, he is the source of that. And what does what does life and this is where you can look, I want to see if you're connected and to realize this is a big story. So you can bring the New Testament when I ask this. Um, how is, when, when you look at that, when we say like part of the overall story um, is life, what things come to mind to you when this, as the story progresses in the New Testament? Because we know he's the creator of all life in Genesis 1. Then is there other scriptures, other things that come to light, come to your mind when you think about that? Because this all happened in these opening chapters. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There you go. What else? They're all over the place, really. Where does Savior come in? What's that? We have the, the Creator, the Father, life. How do you tie the Savior in? 
I, I think I, t I tie create that phrase. I guess I don't. For me, I wouldn't ice that, isolate that, as one of the overall themes of the story. I think it's an as, because I think it's an aspect of what a father is, like a father would protect his kids at all costs and save them from. Because uh, as we even look at the Old Testament, God saves the Israelites. They cross the Red Sea. Savior is part of it, but I, I feel that that's part of the characteristic of the creator-father-life imagery is what I would say. Um, I think that's an aspect um, of his character, of who he is. Um, so I feel, I feel, and that's me, and we can have some discussion about that. That's one I wouldn't put um, in the overall story. I think that is an aspect of how he reveals of the things that he's going to do, being our father. That he's also going to be our savior. That that's one of the things he's going to be. He's going to be our protector. and He's going to be our healer. I think those are aspects of the character of who he is as a, as a father. Because I feel like that was the number one image Jesus had of him was father. That's what he was trying to show us. Um, so that's why I wouldn't put it in there. But Savior, in, but when I say that, I want to make sure I don't say this wrong. Because Savior is a big image, but I think it's showing who the Korean Father is. Because Savior is how the Israelites initially see him when they cross over the Red Sea. They come out. That's how they see him, because then that's how they worship him. They realize he's the creator, but they, they realize he's our savior, too. He saved us from Egyptian bondage. He saved us from the, I mean, and it's part of the imagery of Jesus himself is that he saves us from bondage. He saves us from sin. So there is that aspect. I pro, I just wouldn't put it there. I think it's back to this central theme of father. I think that's part of defining what kind of father he is. Like we say, he's a good father as well. I think that savior thing is in his character of who he is. So would that be God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit? What? Which part? You're, you're connecting Father with Savior. Is that like Jesus being God the Son? I don't, if I know, and Wayne, maybe you'll have to come back to me as a minute, but I, there's when I, when I talk about Jesus, for me, it's no different when I talk about Yahweh, for me. Yeah, I understand. That. So they're one of the same. So, I, I, you know, that's where I think the wording might get bad. So, um, because I think the different ways the Father, the Creator, reveals himself. Uh, because, I, like, for instance, I think Jesus, who is the Father as well, yeah. I think he also reveals himself as friend. To us as well, I think that's one of the things he says when he says to the disciples, he goes, "I, you know, I, I know that I call you servants, I call you friends." Um, so I think there's lots of aspects that this gets flushed out that he's all. And I think of my own father, like he doesn't do a lot of direct fathering to me in the sense of discipline or taking care of me. Uh, our relationship is more. I mean, he he's like my best friend as well. So I I see more as uh, my best friend than what I would say this father who raised him. That doesn't mean he's not the father, though. But 
But I'm just saying, like, our relationship is more that. It's more. It's almost more equal now, wouldn't you say? It's it's just like it's not like he's telling me what to do or. And, but yeah, I can still go to him advice. But what's funny is that he can come talk to me for advice now too, and I'm the son, so um, which is interesting. So unique out for me. What's that? I went back to Genesis one because what I was wrestling with is the idea that they need him as creator because like Genesis one, he actually like in the beginning God, that is Elohim Yahweh, and that literally means I am like I. Like he doesn't, when he first introduces himself, at least in terms of scripture, he doesn't put a nominal on the end. He doesn't define who he is. He basically leaves it completely open. Like you will know me as everything that I am is basically what he's saying. And with uh, Wayne's question about is that God the Father, God the Son, Elohim is plural. It doesn't exist in a singular sense. He wasn't saying that he was representing himself as all of himself without he was being known as his whole self as a creator as a father as life but what i'm wrestling with is like i think in at least in the old testament he shows up in a lot of ways that we don't want to see god as being like like he's not always kind <laughs> you know like there's there's a lot of themes in the old testament at least on that superficial standpoint we have to right. wrestle with right so i i'm i'm that's where I'm just coming out. Like I feel like even just to label him as anything before he's all of it is almost to narrow it down too much. Like the story reveals the whole, in my in my view, of all of his nature, including obviously the the creator aspect and the father aspect. And those are, and I know like I'm not trying to fuss with it too much because I know we've talked about that God wanted a family. That's why he did this. Right. Um, but I think all of his not all of his facets are, I mean, there's a lot of fear involved in Elohim. <laughs> like, they didn't even want to write out his full name. That's well, well, Elohim, go ahead. I like what she's doing. Because what she's doing is she's trying to kind of create more of that generalized, big picture story. And, like, so let's just use the term Elohim. Or I am, because I think that's kind of like the... Well, the Elohim's the generic, the generic name for God. That's what's used in Genesis one. But when we get to Genesis two, it's the Lord God, which is God's name Yahweh, which which the Jews do not speak. So that's his personal name. Elohim's not his personal name. Yahweh's his personal name. And that's what's what happens when he creates Adam. That it goes to Lord God, Elohim. Yahweh. Right. So I still feel like what she's doing, which I think is healthy, is. But you take the two stories together, yes. Giving us the broad, big, encompassing name of the Lord for the story. Right. And then throughout these slivers, Mm -hmm. we see all these different aspects of his nature, his character, his fullness. So we see Savior. Yes. We see, to Wayne's point, Oh, he's very much acting like a son, very yes. much acting where the spirit is involved. Right. But up, up up, above that line, so to speak, is the fullness, and then down throughout is all those individual characteristics that make up the fullness. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Go ahead. You, you also know, too, uh, one thing that comes to mind also is Revelation where it talks about, like, uh, 
And it's like uh, the preaching revelation we're talking about, like every time you look at it, you see different facets of God, kind of things that preaching revelation that gives us like later, but like every time you look at it and they see like a different a different perspective of God. And that's brought that whole thing to mind, which is talking about that because um, I think I think Revelation is one of the things we talk about like see someone as a jewel or whatever and like every time you look at him it's you see him like dip, like more different and they like and they worship him, that kind of thing. So um, I find the exact scripture but memory, but the whole premise is like every time we look to the Lord, we see something different in him, and we, I mean, we, like we should always be like open to like what it looks like. Kind of thing. Like when I look at the Lord. I want to bring up something because um, try not to, because we could probably talk about this for weeks because there's it's. It's a lot. Um, Diane kind of mentioned it about like, well, there's times we look at God and He doesn't seem so kind. Uh, let me say as we go, like, as we go through, um, what we need to remember is too is remember um, the people of Israel, the Jews, the Hebrews that God saves, um, is they're referred to as the children, the children of Israel, is that they were like really young almost babes so um i think when we think about parenting our own kids i know there's times where jill and i made decisions and they would have said we weren't very kind (laughs) and but that discipline was out of love totally out of love i mean the best story i can think of i'll never forget this is (laughs) is uh morgan i mean i don't even know if she was Two, three, Jill could probably get, I'll probably, we talked to a couple, like how our timelines are all different, Jill and I, so so Jill probably has it right, and I probably got the timeline wrong. So I don't know how old Morgan was, but I remember seeing uh, Jill, I got I got home, and she, I don't know what she did, I can't even remember, and, you know, before uh, we would spank her kids anything, like, it wasn't like, it was never out of anger, it was kind of like, you know, you're, you're going to kind of get a beat, and this is, this is why, this is what you did. And I remember Jill just like, as she's even explained to her, is just crying as she's doing this. And as, you know, she hit a ride, it was this little paddle we had or whatever it was, you know, crying as it's going on. Um, it was totally done in love of what we thought was best for our kids. And I think we got to realize when we go through, especially as it does, as Diane said, like, you can look at it, but if you're not, if we're not looking at it, from a father aspect and a parenting stand, uh, standpoint, I think it's, yeah, then you think that, that, that God of the Old Testament is not Jesus, but I think we have to keep it in the context um, that is in. Um, it's why he's looking is that we move on to what, what we talk about at this body a lot is becoming mature sons and daughters. And stuff. That was the ultimate um, goal in this whole thing. Um, and so their story is part of our story um, as well. Um, it's, 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 it's that life. Um, when we go through, we have to realize it's the same father that we experience because of what we have experienced with Jesus. So um, it, it's, some of that is tough um, <laughs> to hear. And I think that's why Paul, too, um, you know, Paul in Galatians talks about the, the law, which can seem very cruel. Even the law split down. His point is the law was a tutor. It was a teacher for a time. It wasn't the ultimate of what God 
was trying to get to and the relationship that he wanted um, to have. And so, um, because remember too, this story starts off as a wedding between Adam and Eve and God. Okay? The Bible begins with a, with a marriage and a wedding, and the book of Revelation ends with a marriage. The bride and the groom coming down to be adored when we read in Revelation 21, 22. Uh, the same thing. Um, that is a very mature and in, the most intimate relationship we know of as humans is the, is the relationship between a man and a wife. And so um, that type of oneness, which is interesting to know, kind of getting back to the life thing, um, but I want to get back to you guys. Uh, one of my favorite passages <clears throat> is when Jesus says in John 17, where to me, he, like, he literally defines eternal life or life of this, because I think it's fulfilled in this statement when Jesus says, he goes, eternal life is this, to know the one true God and the son whom he sent, talking about himself. And the word know there is the same Greek word that is to use when it's talking about sexual relations between a man and a woman. It's that intimate. To know that's what eternal life is, is to know your father, your creator, that is real life. When you come to know him that intimately, that's what life is. Um, and so, and we, so we see it at the start of Genesis here when we're looking at it, but wow, it's, the, the whole intent of the story was life, that we realize there is no life outside of a life with God. <laughs> it's kind of what we see as we go through these chapters of Genesis. Life's not so good without God out there. And that's what we really see in these first 11 chapters. It's not real good. Uh, we can see what life with God is like, um, and it's not real good. Uh, other comments or questions? We'll make sure. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to put up top here. Okay. Nothing else? No other questions right now or anything? It's, it's really helping to view it in if you can, like look above and look at it as a whole story because then it makes you because i'm reading through i'm reading through the bible and you're getting through parts i'm still in genesis but you're reading through parts and it's like this this like this is the god like what right but if you look at it this way and you know diane talking about how the name of god he wants you to see all parts of who he is and if you look at it that way my question to diane was do you think in an effort for the Lord to show us all of who he is, that idea would have led him to which stories he had Moses put in the first Or like in, in the Old Testament, then, like before, like do you, not, I guess not Old Testament, but do you think him wanting to reveal certain characteristics of himself would have led to him like which stories he would have said, Moses, I want you to tell that. Like that's what I want. If I understand what you're saying, I think when you read through scripture, I, I think I, I said this last day, one of the most important things in that is just go, um, just step back from what you said and come back to 
when we read the scriptures, the most important aspect we always got to keep in mind is context is everything. Context is always important. Otherwise, we have the ability to where we could misinterpret who God is or say something about God that he's not based on the context of, of, of what is said. So, um, so saying that, yeah, that, co- that context is important to what, what you're saying about that. Um, because we could easily, um, the writers are trying to tell, every biblical writer is trying to tell a certain thing to the group of people he's with at that time. You know, it's kind of, you know, no writer, Moses isn't saying, I'm going to write down Genesis, and you know what, the Israelite people, the children, you guys aren't going to understand this, but the people of the 20th century will. That's not what he did. That's this was for them of where they were at. They're getting ready to go into the promise, and he has to remind them. He wants to make sure they know their identity of who he is, um, of who they are, and who he is. Now, even that aspect, if we're following it, we don't get the whole revelation of who he, he is for us, or who, and they don't even, but at that time of what he was going to reveal and what they needed to know, because at that point, Kind of back to what you're saying. The big thing they saw him as uh, was creator, but the big thing that that particular group though saw him as savior. You saved us from Egyptian bondage. You saved us from the the party of the Red Sea. You saved us from them coming and wiping us out. Moses is trying to say he's not just because remember the Egyptians worshipped. They were in this place where the Egyptians are worshiping other types of gods. They might believe there is this. Back then, they probably believed, well, their God's stronger than our God. That was part of the story is, no, no, our God, the God of the Hebrews, is stronger. And because it was they lived in this, this culture where there was multiple belief in gods. And whatever nation was winning, that means their God was more powerful. And that was the mindset. And Moses getting back and saying, listen, you, you see him as Savior. And that's what I'm saying. It's an aspect of it. But he wanted them to know, no, I'm, he's not just the Savior, and he's not just the Hebrew God. He is the God of the universe that created everything you set, you see. And the gods that the Egyptians worship, like the sun god and all that, that's why when we did Genesis, I was saying, it didn't point out each day exactly everything God made. It pointed out specific things because, once again, Moses is trying to show them, you know that sun god? God created the sun, and that's why it's talked about specifically created, because the Egyptian, that was their most powerful God. And so the point is, that's not a God. That's a created thing from the one and only true God who saved you from Egyptian bondage and is making you his people. And he's making you his people so you can be a light to the other nations and the world so they can come to know him as creator, father, and the creator of all life and the sustainer of life. Um, and so I think that's part of when we're reading Genesis, it's kind of what we're talking about. It's trying to add to their image because they saw God as Savior, the people he's talking to. But he was much more than that, much more than that. And to add to that in the Hebraic concept, Savior is really deliberate. The Hebrews didn't relate the way we do in Christendom to the word Savior, meaning you need to be saved. 
That's not what it was to them. When you look at Deuteronomy, over and over again, he reminds them, I am the one who delivered you from Egyptian bondage. Doesn't say saved, because the word saved or savior in Hebrew, Hebraic sense is deliverer. Whenever the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, Satan, in the Hebrew sense of what was being said there, deliverer, he shall be called Jesus because he will deliver his people from their sin. And keep in mind the context that Jay went over with us about the idea of sin being one hiding oneself. If, if you put it in that context, He's talking about being our deliverer. The problem I think we get into is the translation of the religious connotations of the word saint or savior. Looking at it in the original sense of deliverer changes the tone of how we look at that. Uh, he, the creator, father, giver of life, is the deliverer. And that was so from the beginning and continues throughout. He is the one who delivers us to where we no longer have to hide ourselves from him. Because he, the deliverer, is the one who brings us out of that makes us realize our identity in him and restores uh, the relationship. So looking at it that way puts it in a different light because this story we keep talking about, it's a twofold story. It's the story of, of a loving father who, who is our beginning, who loves us forever but it's also a story of a fractured relationship. And he is the one that delivers us from that and restores that and brings it back into being. That's, that's the overriding uh, story. Because when we read, I, I, because there's really two stories going on here. Uh, I'll be brief about this. I know where you want to go but let me just say this. Back when we were talking about, well, we see some things that seem to be unkind that God does. And I think we don't want to lose focus of the fact that there's two stories going on here. There is this overreaching story of grace and God and who he is and his love. But there's also then, as we read the Bible, it's the story also of this fractured relationship and what's going on with these people. So on one side, we've got the story of humankind, which I would also put in parentheses, history of humankind. And then you've got this story, God's story. And it's laid over top of that, those types and shadows, those fingerprints of who he really is over top of that story. There's two stories going on at the same time. So when we read the Bible, 
I think we need to remember there's two stories going on here. There is the actual history of humankind, the story of humankind as they, as they advance forward, and then the story that's the story being told that we've started with in Genesis that's going on, and the two are parallel. They lay over top of one another. And so I am sure that in the human story, there are times that God may have appeared unkindly from their perspective, not understanding the story that we've been talking about, which is the story of love, him forever loving us and ever pursuing us, and ever, ever seeking us. So I, I just think that the word Savior needs to stay in the context of the literal, because that's who he is. He is our deliverance from all of the things that are not good for us bad for us that we need to be delivered from. Okay, he named me that again because he like like corrected me about the Hebrew part. This, the Savior part. It is. It literally is the Hebrew deliverer. It, 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 that is the... But it, I, I want to come back to you real quick based on what I said. So uh, did, I wanted you to come back to me based on what I said too because I think I was following you. Um, did that make sense? Okay. Like, is there some? Is there anything you read that you're kind of like, you said you've been reading through Genesis. I just wanted to hear more of your story, I guess. No, it's just like you... Because I think you brought up some really good stuff. If, if it was, like, you put yourself in the story, right? So right. If, it's, if you're talking about, you know, you hear God, you know, this, this son was a sinner, so God just killed him. Straight up happened. This son sinned. He was a bad guy. God said... You're done. Next one came along. He wasn't much better. God said, "You're done too." Like, like you think right. to yourself, "Right, like, wow, okay, there's a point here, right? Like, right. like for some reason, this story made it. This isn't the only time this happened, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> but for some reason, this story, God said, "Moses, I want this story in. I want you to make sure that this story comes across." So it just to look at it from a bigger perspective. Right. It makes all that more digestible, <laughs> right? Yeah, As I, I'm not at the new covenant, you know. So. I really want. To, I love this conversation. So, I'm looking around the room, and some of us have houses where there are children that are of the age where they could have conversations apart from mom and dad. Have you ever been the mom or a dad and listened in on one of those conversations between the kids? And have you ever thought to yourself, "I so bad." want to get in the middle of that and bring some level of correction or insinuate my parental perspective which is so much different and better than their current perspective so for like and I, I don't have a specific example but let's say something happens between the entire family and the parents just do something and then an hour later the kids are in the room talking about it and the parents are in one room talking about that in, event and the kids are in the other room talking about the event, and the difference between those two conversations is exactly what Barry's talking about. So the conversation that's going on at the divine level is extremely different and high level. 
compared to the conversation that many of us see as we read specifically the Old Testament and even the New Testament. Because there's still a ton yes. of misinterpretation of who God is, even with Jesus in the flesh walking around. So, for, the reason why I love this Bible school specifically and the way Jay and Barry are doing this is they're constantly bringing us back up to Dad's conversation. Because we get caught up in the weeds of the kids' conversation. And sometimes the kids' conversation about Mom and Dad is not at all accurate to what Mom and Dad are trying to accomplish or even who they are. You guys with me on that? And so I think we, as the, and I said this last week about the average Bible reader. Last time I, we had Bible study, I asked them, I said, hey, when you read this story of Cain and Abel as the average Bible reader, we're not seeing all these things that Jay's saying. It's because Jay was speaking from Dad's conversation and Dad's perspective on the story. And most of us just read, Cain killed Abel, what the hell? Instead of us seeing this larger perspective of right. what God's trying to do, he's, he's slowly insinuating himself, fingerprint by glimpse, by symbol, by type and shadow, into the story of humanity to the point where he then shows up in the flesh. That's really what this is. I think this is an incredible story. And so back to the context thing that you said, like always have to read it in context. What I love that you're doing up above the line is you're creating the context for any verse. Right. Yeah. Right. For us to look at any verse in this entire Bible in that context. And it heals it all. It heals all of the other stuff that's going on there that the kids are trying to figure out or the kids are trying to say about it. But bring us back up. Keep bringing ourselves back up into that big story when we are in the weeds of a particular story that we just want to go, who the heck is this guy? Yeah. Just think about Finn and Atticus talking about you after you've had a moment. And the reality is, you might have had a real moment, but the heart of what was going on inside of you was motivated by so much love. But they might have gotten a different message. So why can't it be written that way? Like, because the kids why? wrote the book. Because the yeah, kids wrote it. Was, the it kids was wrote the book. Like, it's like Atticus and Finn writing a book on mom and dad. Hey, you want to know about Wes and Steph? Read this. And, and Wes and Steph were like, wait a minute. <laughs> and that's, I told Moses what to put there. To the whole point of why you're asking that question is why when people say the Bible is the word of God, I right. cringe. Me too. Because the kids right. wrote the story. And dad has a word. It's all made And it's sense. himself. I just feel like the amount of work it takes to stay there is a lot like it's hard it's hard to read this and be like oh i gotta take this and like hold that with a grain of salt and now back up again like it's a lot yeah that's why you have to finally decide for yourself and i know this breaks a lot of christians hearts this is not the word of god this is someone's interpretation of the word of god spend more time with him than read this and then go back and spend more time with him and then read this again. And then say, read this with me. That's how we do it. Until you hear his heart be in every story. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Um, I, well, no, I, I forgot. Like, he has, he has me going. I mean, you all have me going. I really like this conversation, too, because 
this is the difficult this is the difficult part um i, I think let's think of maybe say it this way too kind of the interpretation part when i hear my dad tell stories about my grandfather and my grandparents to an extent i i understand certain things but they lived in a time that I did I wasn't even born, I didn't live in. So I really can't totally understand it. But I can still understand who they were as people, my grandfather, and who they were, but you know, the stuff that was I wasn't alive when the Vietnam War was going on or you know, the different things that were going on. Um, and now just think, I'm only going I'm only going back what, hundred years maybe? And what I'm telling, but this is our. This is when we started in Genesis one, and where we are right now. This these first eleven chapters. Think of how much history there is in the world, and there, we're we're taking it, and it's trying to describe the history of God's whole story and humanity's whole story in eleven chapters. But we're trying to we're going back to understand a world that's really foreign to us. And kind of what Mark's saying, it was their interpretation and understanding of, I think even what God revealed is what they could handle at the time, too, because of the cir circumstances they were living in. Um, and so I, I think we got to keep it. That's why it gets exciting when I look at this, because I'm thinking, yeah, these stories seem like this Cain and Ao story seems so bad, and we're going to get into other ones. But it's like, that was the world they lived in. But already, God's trying to show trying to reveal himself these fingerprints certain aspects of him along the way that we won't fully comprehend them all some of them they didn't some of them were for us i think that's how because here's the thing this is a timeline a human timeline this is not we realize i got this this is not a timeline it's eternal it's eternal god sees it all at the same time I was just talking to Jeremy. He asked me in church two weeks. He's having a conversation. He's asking me about um, um, predestination and 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 kind of what um, you know Calvinists believe and stuff like that. And we're talking about that. And my point to him is like I used to love to be in those when I was in college. You're like reading books about this, about free will or whether God knew. And it's like, and I kind of told him he's like, well. Uh, I, I don't even think that way anymore because that's putting God in a timeline. We, I mean, how can we understand what it's like to not be trapped in time and space? And somebody who's always been, or God's always been, he's, there was never a second, there was never a point in time he came to be. He's, we can't even comprehend that. So we get in those arguments, like we're trying to, describe God in a human standpoint about, well, did he know? If he knows, I'm going to say, no, it's not like that with God. For him, he's why he's the alpha and the mega, the beginning and the end. He sees the beginning just as he sees the end with us. Not just us as individuals, but even humanity. So if you can understand that, great. I can't. All I can do is accept it in faith of what I can't see and what I can't quite understand, but I experienced him, so I know he's real. And and there's stuff that goes, but we got to realize it's it, it it is hard, but it is part of our history. It's like learning about our own ancestors and our own. Our, I mean, 
that's what we're looking at. It's not an exact truth, but we're learning their experiences. And we're walking them and thinking. It's kind of even why Jesus said, even when he tells he goes, you know, they didn't understand it all either, but they understood enough. He said, like, you know, Abraham and Moses, they longed, they were excited about this day when I came. They knew about it. They weren't going to experience it. But that's the thing is I'm hoping that's like what I'm hoping we can get to by looking at the stories. We read the story, we start to get excited. Like Jesus was right there. Like he already left it. He left them way back in this time. It's like a buried treasure. He left it there and we found it. We discovered like he started to show who he was right then. Um, and so to me, that's why reading it. Script, and here's, here's why I think the Bible has been difficult for Christians to read, especially these days is, let me say, it, but the Bible is not a self-help book, but that's how people take it. Like, this is my, this is my guide to life. This is self-help. This is going to help me. Is some of that in there? Yeah. The things that God were, God's going to help. But it, once again, it really points to a life with God. And that's where it's kind of like when we went through the whole thing of wisdom, the difference between human wisdom and God's wisdom. So God's wisdom, that there is self-help, there's deliverance there, but it wasn't, the Bible wasn't, we can't approach it as a self-help. We do it to actually experience and encounter the living God, and then we do get help. But it's, it, sometimes we look for it like we would pick up a self-help book, and I don't think it's that. And I think even what you're saying, that's why you go spend time with the Father and then come read. And then you, and he might point you to like, this is what I want you to do here, but it's it's never to be an approach as a self-help book. It's to tell the story of who he is and to let us know how he views us and who what our identity truly is. Cain didn't know his identity. Abel did. And Abel's blood even saved his own brother from death. Um, so <coughs> in the midst of that. So I see like, wow, it's already there. Um, you know, it's you know, it's when I see when I see Abel, I don't know if I gave this example or not when I was even talking about Abel, you know, his blood crying out to me, he's his blood's already covering. And I think that's why God it shows how God's sparing him, because the blood is bringing life to him instead of him being killed. Whether the Israel, whether uh, the Hebrews understood that when Moses was speaking it, I don't know. But it's definitely there now. And to me, it's the same thing when Jesus spoke on the cross as he's dying. That his, if you want to say his enemies, the very people who put him on the cross, and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. What does Stephen say when he gets stoned to death for preaching the gospel in Acts? What happens? What does he do? Does anybody remember? Book of Acts. Stephen's preaching the gospel. Saying he's the Christ. Nobody knows what the story I'm talking about. Acts chapter two. Yeah. yeah. What what is, what does he do? He takes on the very life of what we're supposed to do. He reflects and images Jesus, who's Yahweh in the flesh, his Father, and he says, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do." As he's being stoned to death, his blood being poured out were the good news for the story, and he's saying, "Father, forgive them." So. Another, another really cool analogy with the blood. Do you guys remember when Jesus is in his passion and Pilate comes out and he says, I wash my hands of this. This man's blood yeah. is on all of you. And do you remember what the people scream back? That his blood, that his blood. And on our children. Yeah. 
Isn't that amazing how they are so vehemently in anger and like this riotous mob, and they actually prophesy exactly what he's going to do in their anger. Right. I just think it's powerful. Let his blood be on us and our children. Okay. <laughs> and if I may quickly add, I, something you said really caught my attention. You're you're absolutely right when you said, "Look, wasn't it God that gave Moses these stories and these words to write down?" And yes, He did. And what I was thinking about when you said that was. Yes, he did, but it's how he gave it to him. And hidden in the words he gave him to write down were all of these fingerprints and types and shadows of things to come that God knew at the time he gave them to Moses that Moses wasn't going to fully understand them, but he gave it to him with all these things hidden. And using the father analogy, uh, the way I spoke to my son Jay when he was two years old, compared to how I spoke to him and what I said to him when he was a teenager, and the way I now speak with him, totally different. Why? Because of what understanding is possible in those various ages and times. This story that we talk about is progressive, never ending. His kingdom is without end. It constantly flows and goes. And along the way, some people catch up with it and some, some see the types, the shadows, and finally realize that it's there. It doesn't come all at once. Uh, but the father's love is such he communicates with his children on the level they're on at that time and then as they mature they begin to understand more and more of his words I guarantee you Moses had no idea of all the wonderful hidden things that he had just been given when he put the Torah together those five books ahead of time. Had really no concept. Had a glimpse, I'm sure, but not a total concept of everything that this was going to entail. And so here we are progressively moving along. And when I even think about the, the types and the shadows of the tabernacle, when God gave those instructions to him and said, this is the blueprint, don't do it any different than I'm telling you and lay it out this way. And just, just look at the progression of that because it so matches everything else that he also told him in Genesis because the layout of the tabernacle, the outside court is 4,000 cubits. Basically, if you represent that as 4,000 years, that's the generations of, uh, to the coming of Jesus backward to Adam. And the inside holy place, uh, it was 2,000 cubits. That's roughly the 2,000 years of 
since Jesus has been here. The most holy place is thousand cubits. That basically is that thousand years of peace that's spoken of in the book of Revelation when he states he's going to be bound and he's going to be peace for a thousand years. You put all those together and you end up with 7,000 total years. A day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. It's reflective of the seven days, the six days of creation, the 4,000, the 2,000, and then the day of rest, the day of peace, the thousand, which is the most holy place in the presence of God himself, is the day of rest. If all of those types and shadows were there, all of that is in the Pentateuch as one book called the Torah. All of those types, shadows of what was going to come for humankind that the Father created, communicated to his children as best as they could have. He's a true Father in that sense, which is why I, I just love your analogy about the conversation with you. That, that is just so, so rich because that is very illustrative of exactly what we're talking about. And those of us who have been privileged to be parents, to be able to experience, we have a little better insight into that than those that have not had that experience. Because at least as earthly parents, uh, we get to experience some of the things that other people who are chaplains or who've never had children, uh, they have a much more difficult time getting the other thing I found, to kind of bring the, bring some of the stone end here too, you know, Mark was talking about us this weekend and he's talking about God. God's always doing what three things? It's one. Oh. I mean, that's part of this like illustrative. What is the second? I want to know. I know. Forming. 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 That's what we're going to see from where we're at in Genesis. Where you see God start to form us, form our understanding, and said, and what was the third one? Sending. Sending. This is all, by the way, back to Genesis 1 and 2, the original things he was doing with Adam and Eve. And that's what we're going to see. That, that was a challenge to us individually, and what we're looking at is that they're seeing three things corporately in this story. That's what we're seeing. So... Um, I want, do you guys like cliffhangers, or does that annoy you guys? <laughs> I really want to leave you guys with a cliffhanger. I like cliffhangers. You like cliffhangers? Okay, so here's what I want. I, I, can, can you guys give me just three minutes to get this cliffhanger set up? Go. Okay, three minutes. <clears throat> because, believe it or not, I'm jumping ahead to six, but it's because it's connected to where we're at in four, of it really explains what happens in between. So I want to ask you a quick question. And it's funny, Ben's not here because he's the one to ask the question. I want to ask you, Genesis chapter six, I'm sure you guys have all read ahead on a bit. Who are the sons of God? Who do you think the sons of God are? Do you know who? Oh, I, oh you're allowed to answer this now. This is part of the cliffhanger. Who do you think the, the sons of God are? Or maybe you're not sure what who have you heard the sons of God are? 
in Genesis. Does everybody know what I'm talking about, or I need to read it real quick? Everybody know? Tell you what, what, what's been taught? Uh, you you can either tell me what you think, or you can tell me what you were taught. Because or maybe you don't know. It, it could be either. I can tell you. If you I'm know, talking. if you know, I would rather go no. Only go to what you've heard if you're um, not sure. What I was taught, which is not what I believe, but it's what I was taught. Okay. Is that it was the result of angels having relations with human women. Okay. What about everybody else? That's also what I was taught. I've heard that. Okay, Mark says he does it. Is that is that what you believe? You just thought, this is a weird story in the midst of Genesis, first 11 chapters, right? What's that? There's a weird bucket over there, and it's in their weird bucket. It's in their weird bucket. So there's a weird bucket. Is there anything else? Okay, let me leave you with this, because we're going to... We're going to talk about this because it's important to the story. But I want to make this challenge. If anybody in here does think that the sons of God were angels, whether angels having sexual relationships with humans or whether you believe uh, these are just bad, evil angels, I, I want you to think of why you believe that and where that is in Scripture to back that up. I want you to think... Where, where is that form? Is that a belief somebody else has that they put into the story, or is it can it actually be proven in other parts of Scripture that the sons of God are actually angels, bad angels in this case? Okay, so if you think it is angel, because that's a lot. That's how I, I heard about it too. But um, so do we? When you say that, are you saying that angels? <laughs> Sorry, uh, beings who are the children of angels and women, are they angels? No. Okay. I'm just talking about the sons of God. Yeah, so am I. Just that. Okay. But you're asking me if we think they're angels. Yes. Of where, why you believe that to be true or... Can you find out why you were even taught that to be true? So this is for next time? Yeah. We all need to make sure Ben's here. So, yeah, make sure Ben's here because uh, he's the one who asked this. Yeah, he's the one who asked it. And so I, I just, and here's the reason why I said it's a cliffhanger because I want you to, like, seriously think, think about it and be because I want to open by just discussing it before I kind of give where I stand on it because, um, and to give you something to think about with it so or my other challenge if you don't like that because you just don't know i will say this or be ready to show how is this part of the story we have thus far that we've read and then again, yeah um if it the other thing is if you're kind of in the weird thing and you didn't have believe anything about it i my challenge is that you Based on the story we have so far that we've talked about, it, going through and reading just one, I, I, I'll say this much about it. It's not just an isolated story stuck in the middle there. There's a purpose behind it. How does this purpose fit the story that we have thus far? 
Think about it that way. And see if you can come up with who the sons of God are. If they're not angels, the answer is in the text itself. Between 1 and 6. Okay? Sound good? That's the challenge. Hey, thanks everybody for sharing. This is where I was kind of hoping we start to go with the Bible school to have more discussion and a little less teaching. Thanks everyone.